0: I'm Nikki Hardy, and this is Chemo Chair Prayers. I'm so glad you're here. Hold on, let me take that back for just a hot second, because this is a podcast for anyone who's heard the words, it's cancer. So if that's you or someone you love, I am so sorry. I just hate that for you. So yes, I kind of wish you weren't here, but I'm also super glad you're here, because if you're struggling to keep fear and worry at bay, to trust God no matter what, or simply need a little faith boost and to feel God's loving arms around you, you are in the right place. I lost both my mum and sister to cancer and was then diagnosed myself just six weeks after losing my sister. I know all too well how cancer robs us of so much. The certainty of who and whose we are, how to pray when we have no words, the future we planned and imagined, not to mention the strength, peace, trust, and yep, even the joy and laughter we long for. So if you don't want to merely survive cancer, but long to thrive in the midst of it, take a seat, grab your cup of tea, let your shoulders relax, and allow me to lead you through a short story and a prayer using our guided format with the acronym TRUST followed by a simple practical invitation to experience God's loving presence now and in the days ahead. Well, hello, friend. As we continue our summer series, we're diving into the tricky conversation around what kind of God allows cancer. Because here's the thing. No matter how long you've been hanging around with God, no matter how strong your belief and trust in him, And no matter how you phrase the question, I've never met anyone who hasn't wrestled with this. Why does God allow suffering? Or what kind of God allows cancer? Or in a little more honest language, as I was diagnosed and what I said was, what the heck, God? You've got to be kidding me. How come? I thought you were good, but this doesn't feel good. Well, if you've wondered anything like this and need some encouragement, Even if I can't give you a 100% definitive answer, listen in. I want to take you back to early 2004. At that time we were still living in England and I'd been home less than 24 hours when I got the call from my sister Claire that it was time. I'd hardly been back long enough to run my dirty undies through the wash or put my suitcase back in the attic. But it was time, apparently. Time to head back to Vancouver, Vancouver, Canada, to my mum's house where she'd been living since she married my stepfather nearly 20 years before. She'd been battling aggressive small cell lung cancer for the last year, and I'd just spent two precious weeks visiting her. And I wondered, how could it be time? Had things deteriorated that fast? I chucked some mismatched clothes in my wash bag into my suitcase, kissed Al and the kids goodbye, and dashed back to the airport. When I arrived at the hospital, she was barely conscious, yet she appeared to have been waiting for me. Me, the last of her kids. She had turned her head, and I perched on the edge of the bed. She smiled weakly, the corners of her mouth curling slightly upward, relief filling her eyes. You made it, she mumbled. And as her breathing became laboured, and she slipped unconscious, we held her hands and prayed. She passed away as we looked on helplessly. Six short years later, Claire had to make another call. It was time again. Once again, it seemed like just a few hours since I'd been home. This time, I'd been visiting my other sister, Jo, in England, because by that time, we'd moved here to Charlotte, North Carolina. It was Jo's turn to be battling the same awful thing, aggressive small cell lung cancer. When I tugged her goodbye and stroked her soft, fuzzy, chemo bald head, my bubbly, vivacious chef of a sister might have been the shadow of herself physically, but she'd still been that feisty old belligerent girl who could crack a joke like stand-up comic. How could it be time? How could things have deteriorated that quickly? Once again, I had to kiss Al and the kids goodbye, find a seat on the first flight to England, and I crossed the Atlantic, this time in the other direction, and I dashed to the hospital. Like her mother before her, relief filled Jo's eyes as I pushed open the hospital door and sat beside her. With the faintest of curls in the corner of her mouth, she smiled her mother's smile. You're here, she whispered. Claire, Dad and I held her paper-soft hands as her breathing became laboured, and she too slipped unconscious. We prayed, told her we'll always love her, and told her she could let go, Tears fell as we said our goodbyes. She was just 44 years old. It was New Year's Eve 2011, and somehow that was fitting. Jo loved a good party, and maybe, just maybe, she knew we'd always raise a glass to her as the clock struck midnight each year. Then, just six weeks later, I was told that I too had cancer. Not lung cancer, like my mum and my sister before me, but rectal cancer rectal cancer? I was like, are you kidding me? Had the heat-seeking missile of death finally locked in on me, or more importantly, my rear end, would my kids sit on the side of my hospital bed as I managed a smile, the corner of my mouth turning up slightly? Would my breathing become laboured? Would I slip into unconsciousness as they prayed and held my hands and told me I could go? Would I pass away at just 43? Was this my turn? I know you've been there too, or at least someone you love has. Or maybe you're here listening to chemo chair prayers because you saw the episode title and you wanted to hear more, which means you've probably been through some pain and suffering yourself. But whatever the reason you're here, I'm glad you are because today's episode we're going to be diving into the question why God allows suffering. It's a big question, a huge question, so we're going to take a little longer than our normal 15 to 20 minutes today. But given it's Christmas Eve, or it is if you're listening to this on the day the episode goes live, I thought it pertinent and relevant to talk about why the God who sent his son at Christmas time also allows suffering. Because cancer left me wondering why? Why is this happening? What did I do wrong, God? Haven't I been through enough? Haven't I done enough for you? All the usual questions, I'm sure. And I'm sure you've asked similar questions. How do I know? Well, I've just told you my story, but I know it's not unique. I didn't tell you my story so you'd feel sorry for me. Lord knows I've done enough of that for myself. But to say that I get it, and I know you have a story too, and you have questions as well. I know I don't need to persuade anyone listening that pain and suffering are real. And I don't need to persuade you that suffering can hit at any time, any place, anywhere. It's the end of 2020. Lord knows we know there has been enough suffering this year and I don't need to persuade you that none of us is immune. Whether it's broken relationships, diseases taking over our bodies, struggles with addiction, loved ones dying, teens on drugs, infertility, whether it's big or small, pain, loss, grief, heartache, fear and suffering are unfortunately a part of life. Here's the thing though. When we ask why, why God allows suffering, I wonder whether what we're really asking is, what kind of God allows suffering? Who is this God that allows this much pain? Because one thing I've learned is that this question, why does God allow suffering, is really a personal question. It's personal because pain is personal. Like I said, I know you have a story too because suffering is personal, and in the midst of it, the most natural thing in the world is to ask why. Why are you allowing this? Or more importantly, what kind of God allows me to suffer like this? Do I really want to worship the kind of God that allows suffering to happen to me and to those I love? Where is he in the midst of it? We scream at him, what kind of God are you? The normal Christian response to this question is that the kind of God who allows suffering is the kind of God who loves us enough to give us free will. Well, why is this a big deal? Well, the theology goes like this In the beginning, God made a perfect world that was without pain or suffering. It was beautiful. Creation was thriving and there was no suffering at all. In fact, in Genesis 1 31, In the message it says, God looked over everything he had made. It was good, so very good. So there was no pain and suffering in the beginning. But part of that perfect creation was that God wanted us to have free will, you know, the ability to make choices for ourselves. He didn't want us to be slaves or robots, but to be free to make our own choices, especially and ultimately To be free to love and be loved by Him. Because love isn't love if it isn't a choice. And God wants us to love Him freely. I'm sure we all agree that that is a great thing and we wouldn't want it any other way. We wouldn't want to not have free will, right? Well, but here's the problem. By giving us free will, God also gave us the ability to choose things that aren't his will for us. And of course, that's what happened. Starting with Adam and going on ever since, we've been wielding our free will and have gone and made choices which have really messed the world up. If you like, our choices have enabled evil to enter the world, and pain and suffering have galloped in hot on its heels. The Bible says that we and the world are broken and fallen, and that we suffer ultimately because the world is broken. And when we think of free will, we might think, well, I understand it with the death of a child due to a drunk driver, or 9 11 perhaps, but not when it comes to tectonic plates causing an earthquake, or a baby dying in childbirth, or cancer when we've done nothing to bring it on ourselves. But here's the thing. If the physical world is a reflection of the spiritual world and what happens in the spiritual realm is worked out in the physical world, then when the spiritual relationship between God and his creation, humanity and the earth, breaks down, so too does the physical one. So the physical world is broken too. As it says in Romans 8, 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So the theological answer is that we and the world are broken and that's why stuff happens. And like I said, that's the standard theological response to suffering. The kind of God who allows suffering is one that even though he knew it would mess things up, he still wanted to give us the most wonderful gift of free will. Personally, I think this is really helpful. But maybe only on an intellectual level. Because, like I said, suffering is personal. Pain is personal. If someone had come up to me after losing both my mum and sister to cancer and then being diagnosed myself at just 43 and said, well, the reason this is happening is because God wanted us to have free will. So that means the relationship between God and us, both in the physical and in the spiritual, is broken. That's why stuff happens. You know what? I think I might have punched them. Because it speaks to us on an intellectual level. But what about our hearts? Because it's at moments when we're in our deepest pain, that it's our hearts that need to be spoken to. So I want to look at what God, theology, has to say to our hearts. What does he have to say to you in the depths of your pain? And actually, I'm thrilled to say that the answer is actually quite a lot. Let me explain. I love Sheryl Sandberg's book, Option B. It talks about the work of psychologist Martin Seligman, who researched thousands of people who've experienced suffering and trauma. And the thing I found so interesting is that he discovered the three significant beliefs that hold people back when they're recovering from trauma. The first was what he called a sense of personalization, the idea that we are at fault. Then there was a sense of pervasiveness, that all areas of our life will be affected. And finally, there was permanence, that the aftershocks of this will last forever. So let me ask you, have you ever found yourself struggling with these three things? You know, something bad happens, or even your cancer diagnosis, and you think, it's all my fault, or this is affecting my whole life, or it's always going to be this way, and I can't see a time when it's never affecting my life. If you do, join the team. We've all done it. And it's so interesting that Martin Seligman identified these beliefs as the core beliefs that hold people back from recovering from setbacks, trauma, and suffering. These beliefs hold us back from building resilience. And I say it's interesting because it seems to me that while God allows free will and suffering that follows on from that, He doesn't just leave us there to face these things and drown in our pain and merely survive it. Rather, He has done everything necessary so that we can find our way through it and even find His blessing in the midst of our suffering. And like I always like to say, and thrive, not just survive. He has done everything so that we can find more when life has handed us less. And with it being Christmas Eve, when we celebrate him coming to us in the form of his son Jesus, it's good to reflect on the fact that his coming to earth has given us everything necessary to deal with all these beliefs, the personalization, pervasiveness and permanence, that hold us in our place of suffering. So I want to talk first about personalisation, this sense that it's all my fault. You know, when life falls apart, we tend to think one of two things. I've done something wrong and I feel bad about it. And that's called guilt. Secondly, there's false guilt. When something goes wrong and we still blame ourselves for it, even though it's not our fault. And that's false guilt, like I said. And it is so common. I don't know about you, but I completely blamed myself for my cancer. Despite being told that I'd done nothing to cause my cancer, I blamed myself for my diagnosis. I'm a little weird, but I eat the entire apple, core and all, including the pips. I've done it all my life. Maybe that was to blame. Maybe my tummy was full of fermenting apple pips. Maybe I hadn't washed my fruit properly. And that was it. Maybe I'd ignored the signs. Somehow I found a way to blame myself. Then, when I was persuaded that it really wasn't my fault, I managed to blame myself for all the disruption and pain and worry and illness my treatment caused my family and other people. Rarely is cancer our own fault. But when it is, or even when it isn't, God has done everything we need. To deal with it completely, and that, my friends, is the gospel message. And that, my friends, is the gospel message: that Jesus came to die to pay the price for our sin. What that means is that there is no need for us to feel guilty about anything, as it says in Romans eight one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, if we're willing to lay it at Jesus's feet. Condemnation is ultimately the fear that we're going to be punished. And that is what Jesus has removed. So if you're feeling false guilt, I want to invite you to lay it at the foot of Jesus. And if you're feeling guilty for something that you have done, then lay that too at the foot of the cross, giving it to Jesus. That's why these verses are so profound. God has set us completely free from guilt. No reason to feel guilty in our suffering whatsoever. It's at the cross we find freedom. We can simply own what's ours in full confidence Jesus has died for it, and we can release what isn't, knowing the world is a broken place and tragedy happens. We are free, friends, and that's the kind of God that allows suffering. And that's the kind of God that allows suffering one that loves us so deeply he sent his one and only son to die a painful death to set us free from the weight of this belief of personalization, that it's all our fault. So then there's pervasiveness. The belief that when something goes wrong, my whole life has fallen apart. Never more so than when we have cancer, it's easy to think that when one area of our life falls apart. Our whole life is terrible. I can tell you that when my bum got cancer, it felt like my whole life had a kind of cancer. I was exhausted and sick, and my whole world felt exhausting and overwhelming. And the more I see this in my life and in the lives of others, I really think this belief comes from a place of a broken identity. Our identity is broken. It's like we have an underlying belief that our whole life is awful because we don't deserve anything less. Everything is bad because I'm not worth a good life. Living in our broken world creates cracks in our identity with God. We begin to believe we're just not good enough, not worthy of his love or his abundant life. So when one part of our life shatters, we expect and see our whole life as breaking apart. And we buy into the myth that his abundant life, a life of thriving and not just surviving, is only for the chosen with happy, skippy, pain-free lives. And we may get to live that life in all its fullness when we're over this and got ourselves and our lives back together. We believe that life in all its fullness is only for those that God really loves. And friends, it's just not true. He loves you and he wants to give you an abundant life that's why he came and i truly believe now that life doesn't have to be pain free to be full we can find that fullness and that abundant life right in the midst of our cancer and the exciting thing is that once again the god who gave us free will knowing this would happen also meets us right here as well he's dealt with our broken identity and wants us to know that absolutely nothing is going to separate us from his love, that we are absolutely good enough, absolutely worthy of his love and absolutely worth an abundant life. Again, in Romans 8, this is what the Bible says, because of what Christ has done, we are God's children, adopted, co-heirs with Christ. That's the gospel message again, that we are loved unconditionally You are worthy and chosen and forgiven, or as it says in verse 28, justified. And here is the deal. It's not just an identity thing. But but Romans goes on to remind us that no matter what is going on, God is working for our good in the midst of it. How do we know that he is? Because we are his children and we are worth it. You are worth it. When something bad or terrible happens, we can get this sense of pervasiveness that our whole life is falling apart because we just don't deserve anything else. And that's the enemy talking. But God has dealt with that. He reminds us that we are His children, we are loved unconditionally, and worthy of His abundant life. Sometimes we just have to look to see it. And finally, there's this sense of permanence. The idea that life will always be awful. When life shatters, it's easy to believe we'll never find a way out, never feel any different. We'll never feel joy and lightness again. Life will always be hard and full of heartache and worry. We so often have a sense that we will never get out the other side of the situation we're struggling with. And I imagine many of us are wrestling with this right now. Once again, The God who gives us free will, who knew that this would mean that pain and suffering would ultimately enter the world, defeats this sense of permanence by meeting us in our suffering while we are there. In the midst of our pain and suffering, he promises to comfort us, strengthen us, give us peace and hope, guide us and give us wisdom. He brings light into the darkness and beauty into the pain. In the midst of our pain, he meets us and gives us what we need to cope, Move forward and even thrive in the middle of it. If you're listening on Christmas Eve, if you're listening on the day that this episode goes live, it's Christmas Eve. And now more than ever, we're reminded how God comes to be with us in our pain and how he understands our heart's cry and our worry. This is a God who sent his son to earth as a helpless baby to grow up, to be ridiculed, beaten, and then die a gruesome death our suffering servant meets us in our pain and understands our suffering. Surely this gives us hope. And as President Snow from the Hunger Games said, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. And isn't that what we want? A sense of dangerous hope this Christmas. Or as Christopher Reeve said, once you choose hope, Anything is possible. And there again, there is no reason for pervasiveness because God gives us hope by meeting us in our pain and suffering. The God that allows free will is the God that meets us right where we are in our pain and fuels our hope. This really is what I wanted to say today. When we experience the pain, heartache and loss of suffering and cancer, we find ourselves asking, what kind of God allows me to suffer in this way? It's like he stands in front of us, cups our face with his hands, looks us in the eye and says, yes, I gave you free will. It was the greatest gift I could give you because it allows you to choose the greatest gift on earth. My love, I knew it would lead to suffering, but I also came to meet you in the very things that make your suffering worse. I've dealt with your guilt. I have mended your broken identity and no matter what, I give you hope. I have sent Jesus to take your guilt. I have adopted you into my family so that you know you are worthy and I have shown you that nothing will ever separate you from my love. So that you can always have hope. I've spent a lot of time pondering these things over the years since my cancer, and it really seems to me that the real question when it comes to suffering is are you willing to believe these things about God when suffering does happen? Can we believe them about God when it matters most, when life is at its most painful? Because when stuff happens, we face a choice to turn to God. Or turn away from God. So I want to ask you today, friend, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the God that gave you the greatest gift of all, free will, and then sent his son in another precious gift for you? Or are you going to choose your pain and suffering and turn away from him? Now, like we do each week, we're going to take a moment to pray through our prayer practice with the acronym TRUST. Thanking God for who he is, resting in his love, unburdening our hearts, surrendering our hopes, dreams and fears and taking him at his word. And I know I say this every week, but I really want to encourage you to make this prayer your own. I'm going to pray some prayers but then you can take some time and feel free to pause the music to make those prayers your own, offering up your own prayers to God, knowing He hears you and He sees you. So let's thank God for who He is. Lord, we thank You that You are a God who loves us so much, You didn't want a world without us having free will to love and be loved by You freely not like robots or automated machines. You are a God who wants a relationship with us and we thank you and we praise you for that. We thank you that you meet us in our pain. We thank you for the way that you have met us in the middle of our pain. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent as a baby to live, be ridiculed, to die And rise again. Now let's take a moment to rest in his presence. And this week I just want to take a moment to simply be still. Let the music wash over you and rest in his presence because he is here. Now we're going to take some time to unburden our hearts, telling him all the things that we have been carrying, both emotionally and spiritually. Lord, in the midst of our cancer, it's so easy to believe that it's all our fault. We carry the weight of guilt, either false or otherwise, that we have caused all this pain and suffering, both in our lives and in other people's. We carry the weight of permanence that life is never going to be different. Lord, we can't see a way forward. We can't see a way out. And Lord, there's this sense of pervasiveness as well, that every single part of our lives are affected, and we just can't see anywhere or anything that isn't scarred by our cancer. Lord, this weighs heavily on us and we choose to give it to you knowing you meet us in the midst of the things that weigh us down. Fears. We fear that it will never change. We fear that everything is now ruined and we fear it's our fault. Lord, we live with these fears. Lord, thank you that you came and you meet us in the midst of it. And we pray, Lord, that you would break in and you would show us the freedom that you have for us on the cross, the freedom you have for us in our broken identity and the freedom and hope that you have for us in the midst of our pain and suffering. Lord, you sent your Son all those years ago and it's at his feet that we surrender our needs. Now we're going to take him at his word. Lord, we so often struggle to believe these things about ourselves and about you, but you tell us that we are your children, we are co-heirs with Christ, You tell us that we are loved and seen and forgiven. You tell us that there is nothing, nothing at all that will separate us from your love. And today, on the eve of you sending your son to earth, we choose to believe these things are true. We choose to take you at your word. We choose to stand on the firm ground that that foundation builds for us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. As always, I love to end our episodes with a spiritual practice we can do now and you can take into the week ahead. And this week is no different. This week, I want to read over you a love letter written to you from God entirely in scripture verses. There are over 40 scripture verses strung together to create the most beautiful love letter and I want to invite you to take a moment and let my voice and the words from scripture from God to you wash over you and through you. If you're anything like me, it's easy to let the knowledge of God stay in our grey matter where it just gathers dust. And I pray that this love letter helps the breadth and the depth of God's love sink from your grey matter down to your heart. And I should tell you that I've titled this love letter, My Dear Sweet Child, because that is what my grandfather used to call me. So like I said, take a moment to close your eyes, and let God's words wash over you. My dear sweet child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me, you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring, I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I'm not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it's my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, And I want to show you great and marvellous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. I'm able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the father who comforts you in your troubles. When you're broken hearted, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I'm not counting your sins. His death is the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved, that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw you the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been the father and will always be the father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. I would love to send you your very own copy of that beautiful love letter from God so that you can play it and replay it over and over again whenever you want to be reminded of God's love and rest in it. Simply head over to today's episode page on chemochairprayers.com or you can find it on my website under nikkihardycom slash loveletter. You've been listening to Chemo Chair Prayers with me, Nikki Hardy. And I always say that thriving is a team sport, so I'd love to know how you're doing and how this simple spiritual exercise and our trust prayer were for you. You can always find me and leave a comment on the Chemo Chair Prayers website, chemochairprayers.com. And that's also where you can download a copy of your own trust-guided prayer format bookmark. If you've enjoyed Chemo Chair Prayers, please recommend it to a friend, your cancer support group, or maybe forward it to your pastoral care team who might be looking for resources for those with cancer. And then why not hit subscribe and leave a five-star review? Not only will that ensure that you get the next episode when it airs, but your review will mean that others journeying through cancer will be able to find Chemo Chair Prayers more easily. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.